Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Picture yourself alone in the middle of nowhere, and there's somebody following you. He went on his way, we so thought, and then we went on ours. But in reality, he really followed us up there. On Deadly Nightmares, the true crime podcast from ID, listen to real stories of ordinary people stalked by serial killers and attackers. Please, tell me we're not going to die. Listen to Deadly Nightmares on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. The following podcast contains subject matter that may not be suitable for all listeners. When you hear the word expert, what does that mean to you? Well, it means something different to me now than it used to. That's Anita Zanin, discussing her field of bloodstain pattern analysis. And in fact, I didn't let people call me an expert for a long time because that doesn't sound like me. I am more skeptical now when I hear the word expert than I would have been in the beginning simply because there are dishonest professions everywhere, and ours is no different. I looked them dead in the eye, and I said, your expert's wrong, you need to get another expert. You have these sciences that are labeled forensic science, but they're theories, they're myths. The trial is dog and pony show. All these people heard was lies. I was horrified. There's nothing a judge can do. There are no standards. There are no qualifications. There is no oversight. Simply because somebody is accepted as an expert doesn't necessarily mean that they know what they're talking about. From Discovery Plus, ID and Joke Productions, this is Unraveled, Experts on Trial a seven-part series that investigates a crisis in the American court system that will leave you hoping you're never accused of a crime that an expert says you committed. It's clear to Billy and I that there is a problem with bloodstain pattern experts in the United States court system. Every day in courtrooms around the country, forensic experts debate the significance of obscure blood evidence in front of juries often coming to completely opposite conclusions. Our system then asks ordinary people with zero knowledge of the subject to decide which bloodstain pattern expert is correct. And someone's freedom may be hinging on this determination. This quirk of our judicial process would be a big enough issue on its own, but our investigation has uncovered a much bigger and more serious issue. The problem with expert testimony runs much deeper than we were aware of until now and all of us should be concerned. All you need to do to realize the urgency here is look to the case of Brad Jennings. Christmas Day, December 2006, Buffalo, Missouri. Not long after midnight, a shot rings out. 
Local mechanic Brad Jennings' wife, Lisa, has just taken her own life in the bedroom of their home. Here's attorneys Liz and Robert Ramsey. What day did the suicide occur? Lisa Jennings committed suicide in the early hours of Christmas 2006. Brad Jennings found her uh, in his closet uh, with a gunshot wound. She was right against the wall between the inside of the closet and the outside of the closet. He had found his wife and cradled her in his arms. Brad Jennings would later tell police that he and his wife had just had an argument before bed. He went to his workshop and later found Lisa in their bedroom deceased with a gunshot wound to the head. When the paramedics arrived, they did gunshot residue tests on his hands and Lisa Jennings' hands. Lisa Jennings had gunshot residue on her right dominant hand. Brad Jennings' hand tested negative for gunshot residue. After that, autopsy was done. They realized that she had a blood alcohol level of 0.152. She was highly intoxicated. The gunshot residue on Lisa's hands, combined with the alcohol in her blood and a history of a previous suicide attempt in her past, convinces the police that Lisa took her own life. They put that determination in writing soon after, and for all intents and purposes, the case is closed. So the sheriff, the lead investigator, the coroner, and the prosecutor all agreed that Lisa Jennings had committed suicide, had a self-inflicted gunshot wound, and that is what came to be on Lisa Jennings' death certificate. And in fact, the local prosecutor issued a statement in the paper that said that there was no evidence to point to anything else but a suicide. Unfortunately for Lisa's husband, Brad, this horrific ordeal isn't over. It's just beginning. Because there is one person who is not convinced that Lisa took her own life. Her sister, Sean. Why did Lisa's sister believe that something sinister had occurred with Brad and, and Lisa? We don't know. I don't think we have a real reason. There are a lot of people who do not want to believe that a family member could commit suicide or that they had missed signs of something, that it's not an easy thing to come to terms with. And obviously not every suicide that happens is something where the family sees it coming. Months after her sister's death, Sean reaches out to the Missouri State Highway Patrol and is randomly assigned to a sergeant named Dan Nash. She asks the sergeant to look into the case. Sergeant Nash obtains the case file from the sheriff's office and pours over the photos from the scene. He takes note of the one and only drop of blood on Lisa's right hand. To Nash's eye, this is suspicious. He believes there should be what's known as blowback blood, considering Lisa supposedly died as the result of a violent, self-inflicted wound. Days later, Brad Jennings would receive an ominous visit from the police. Sergeant Nash did a search of Brad Jennings' home that Brad Jennings had consented to, in which he gave Sergeant Nash the robe he was wearing at the time that Lisa Jennings died. He had not gone back into that room for obvious reasons, and that robe had not been disturbed. They tested the robe for blood, gunshot residue, DNA, they obviously knew that Lisa's blood was going to be on the robe. Brad Jennings never disputed that he held his wife uh, when he found her. 
So there were some blood stains on that robe, which uh, Sergeant Dan Nash said he believed indicated a homicide, the way that the patterns looked on the robe. In July of 2007, over six months after his wife took her own life, Brad Jennings is arrested for murder. His trial would begin two years later. What was the prosecution's version of events? What did they theorize had taken place as far as Brad allegedly committing this murder? The theory was that he was angry with her, that they were fighting, and that he shot her. And that was basically as simple as it got. Sergeant Nash would take the stand at Brad Jennings' trial and explain his interpretation of the blood evidence. Sergeant Dan Nash theorized that the lack of blood on Lisa Jennings' hands, right hand specifically, meant that she had not committed suicide. This is a direct quote from his testimony at that trial. I tried to think of any scenario where she could have shot herself and sustained that much trauma to the right side of her temple and not sustained a large amount of blowback of blood and tissue and brain on her right hand and her right arm, and I couldn't think of one. And so therefore, I just, in that one photo, in and of itself, I don't think that she shot herself. Sergeant Nash then clarifies the significance of the blood patterns on Brad's robe to the jury. What did he believe the stains represented? So he believed they were impact stains. That meant that Brad Jennings basically had to be within close range of Lisa Jennings when she was shot. According to Sergeant Nash, the lack of blood on Lisa's hands and the stains on her husband's robe point conclusively to murder. State prosecutors repeatedly hammer home his testimony. I can read to you from the opening statement that the prosecutor made. Dan Nash, who works with the Missouri State Highway Patrol and has some training in determining what blood spatter is and the direction blood was going when it made that mark, he'll tell you some things about it. And in his closing statement, he relied on Nash's opinions and said that for this to be a suicide, there would have had to be a second miracle on Christmas Day the law of physics would have had to have been suspended so that the blood could loop and dive and wave to avoid this hand, to avoid this gun. There wasn't a miracle that day, there was a murder. He based that entirely on Sergeant Nash's testimony. The attorneys you have been listening to, Lisa and Robert Ramsey, are Brad Jennings' current defense lawyers and did not represent him at his trial. They note an obvious flaw in Sergeant Nash's reasoning that wasn't brought up in front of the jury. The prosecution wanted everybody to believe that Brad is standing very close to her and shoots her in the side of the head. And if there was blowback blood, there would have been what they call a void pattern where he was standing. The blood would have hit him instead him, of the rock carpet. And there would have been an absence of blood in the area directly behind him, and there was no such pattern. And where exactly was the blood found on the robe? Which parts of the robe? It was the sleeves. And it was consistent with this idea that he ran to her to, to check for vital signs. Cradled her head in his yeah. arms. Despite the fact that there was no witness to what happened that day, 
and even though the initial report ruled Lisa's death a suicide, in August of 2009, Brad Jennings is found guilty of second-degree murder, based almost exclusively on Sergeant Dan Nash's testimony. Brad is sentenced to 25 years to life. This is a disturbing story, but what makes this case even more unsettling and even more revealing than any of the ones we focused on so far is that contrary to what prosecutors implied during the trial, at the time of the murder, Sergeant Dan Nash had no bloodstained expertise at all. It wasn't until much later that he got some training. So what was Sergeant Dan Nash's experience in blood spatter analysis? So at the time he made the determination in Brad's case, he had no experience that we know of, nothing within the lab, anything like that to make that kind of determination. He's a detective for the Missouri Highway Patrol, and there's no question that the bloodstain opinions of Sergeant Nash were the predominant reason why Brad was charged with murder. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Janice from Warner Brothers Discovery. I'm very lucky to have a close relationship with my amazing mom, and I'm doubly lucky to be friends with some amazing moms. The thing is, this means that every year, right around this time, I get those panicked phone calls asking for Mother's Day gift recommendations from, obviously, their partners. So I was excited to learn about StoryWorth just in time for Mother's Day 2024. StoryWorth is an interactive way to preserve your loved one's stories for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question like, what do people get wrong about you? Or what's the most incredible trip you've ever been on? All your loved one needs to do is respond to that email with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. 
StoryWorth will send you a copy of your loved one's response, and after a year, StoryWorth compiles the stories and some photographs into a beautiful hardcover book that will last for generations. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. The moms in my life are big-hearted, hilarious, and they're all super storytellers, so they're going to love StoryWorth. I just know it. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift you'll all cherish for years. StoryWorth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com slash unraveled. That's storyworth.com slash unraveled to save $10 on your first purchase. In August of 2009, Brad Jennings was sent to prison for the murder of his wife, Lisa. Yet, the expert whose dramatic bloodstain pattern analysis led to Brad's conviction lacked credibility. What did you come to learn about Dan Nash's training? So we came to figure out that uh, when he actually wrote the report about the bloodstains, he had not taken even the basic course in bloodstain analysis. What about lab experience? Not that we are aware of, no. What about any official credentials? None. So as I was talking to Liz and Rob Ramsey, it really was blowing my mind that just because someone's a police officer, they can basically get on the stand and be an expert about whatever it is they're testifying about. We, we saw this, too, with David Cam. It's like nobody is checking anyone's qualifications. And these people are just spouting off about their expertise and their determinations about this blood evidence with literally no qualifications to do so. It's wrong on so many levels. And let's not forget that the sheriff, the coroner, the lead investigator, and the prosecutor all initially agreed that Lisa Jennings died by suicide. How come no one jumps in to say, wait a minute, we need to look at this more closely? It doesn't seem like that happened here. Yeah, this idea that Dan Nash hadn't even taken the basic course in blood pattern analysis is pretty mind-boggling. And So when he wrote his report, he had literally no idea what he's talking about. And it's crazy to me that there's no authority checking this and making sure that unqualified people aren't ruining people's lives. This case also raises the question, what exactly qualifies someone as an expert in bloodstain pattern analysis in the eyes of the law? We spoke to some lawyers and experts about the process. Here's Anita Zanin. What are the minimum requirements needed to become an expert or to be qualified as an expert? To be an expert in bloodstain pattern analysis? Yeah. The problem, I think, with bloodstain pattern analysis is that there's no universal minimum educational requirement. And the federal rules of evidence indicate that somebody with uh, knowledge, training, or experience that's greater than that of the average person can be considered an expert. So it's a fairly low bar. So according to Anita, in order to testify as an expert in bloodstain pattern analysis in the American court system, all you need to have is, quote, knowledge, training, or expertise greater than the average person. That's it. And this explains why Dan Nash was able to testify as an expert in the case against Brad Jennings. It falls under something called Rule of Evidence 702, which is the blanket provision of similar laws in the states. Here's bloodstain pattern expert Bart Epstein. 
Unfortunately, I mean, there's the federal rule 702, and the states have what they call the Fry ruling and the Daubert ruling. And these all are, are legal rulings on qualifying experts who should be testifying. Generally speaking, if a person has more background and experience or education than the average person and is presented by the prosecution or defense, the judge, unless there's major objections, will allow that person to testify. So who has more experience or education than the average person concerning blood patterns? More of the public than you think. Apparently, doctors, academics, and former law enforcement in particular are relative shoe-ins to take the stand and start giving their opinions, whether they are actual experts or not. In fact, these people can testify to blood pattern analysis without even taking a single human anatomy or a science class. And they're not alone. Every attorney and actual expert we spoke to agreed. Calling someone an expert in bloodstain pattern analysis and then getting them on the stand is pretty simple. David Cam's defense attorney, Stacey Uliana, explained to me how it works. As far as ultimately making it to the stand for either the prosecution or defense, what is your understanding of that process? Unfortunately, they're going to make it to the stand. So the way the system's set up, the judge is supposed to be a gatekeeper, but they just rather say it's for the jury to determine. Everything's for the jury to determine. They're always admissible. They actually say in the Daubert opinion that the, the judge serves a function as the gateway. He has responsibilities to make sure that these things are done properly and the standards are, are met, but judges by and large don't like to inject themselves into a case unless they're asked to. They are relying on the lawyers to do their job of screening these things and making the proper objections so that they can rule. It was bad enough when we realized that juries have to choose between dueling experts for the prosecution and defense. But it's terrifying to consider that some of these bloodstain pattern analysts that take the stand might not actually be experts at all. Off the top of your head, can you think of an example of someone who qualifies as an expert but may not actually be an expert? I can think of many. What's one you've come across more than a few times? Typically people that have had a 40-hour course and go too far in their conclusions or don't understand the dynamics of a more complex scene. The basic 40-hour course it kept coming up when we spoke to various experts. Because the truth is, your greater-than-average knowledge of blood patterns doesn't even need to come from some loosely defined background or experience. You can just take a quick class, 40 hours, one single standard work week. That certification alone will often give a judge peace of mind that he or she is at least dealing with someone with greater-than-average knowledge. You know, an expert. Considering the often life-and-death stakes of the courtroom, it strikes us as kind of a sick joke. A basic 40-hour course is knowledge that's greater than that of the average person. Really, all that course does is allow you to identify patterns made under ideal conditions, not under the life-or-death struggle conditions that occur in a 
in a crime scene and you're not putting multiple mechanisms together. Suppose somebody is shot and stabbed. We don't do those types of patterns in, in the basic 40-hour course. That's not like DNA or fingerprints where you can say this matches that or this is the same as that. There's so many different possibilities. As far as training, how does it actually work? Are there university like specialties for it or? Well, it's, it's different in different areas. Um, Canada actually has a very prescribed program to become a bloodstain pattern analyst. In the States, not so much. You can't like get a degree in it, but there are university classes, there are advanced courses. Many people do it as part of their job for the crime lab or something like that. But you have to have a, an understanding of the scientific method and scientific processes, as well as physics and math. And probably the biggest, most important skill is to be objective. And being 100% objective is truly a learned skill. So essentially, there is no official degree or program to become a bloodstain pattern analyst. And that contributes to what is basically a bit of a free-for-all. David Cam's defense attorney, Stacey Uliana, perhaps sums it up best. How do people become blood spatter experts? There are no standards. There are no qualifications. There is no oversight. If a person calls themselves a blood spatter expert, is articulate enough, powerful and persuasive enough to convince a judge that they got the minimal requirements, then they're an expert. Most police become an expert by going to a 40-hour course. But that's really it. 40 hours of looking at blood is not enough. You're dealing with people's lives here. I mean, you want to convict the guilty, but you don't want to convict the innocent. That brings us back to the case of Brad Jennings and the man whose testimony was crucial in his conviction, Sergeant Dan Nash. It turns out that between the time Sergeant Nash wrote his opinions on the blood evidence found at the scene of Lisa Jennings' death and the moment he actually took the stand at Brad's trial, he had gotten around to taking the basic 40-hour course on blood patterns. But when it came time to testify, he didn't even need it. In Brad's case, they did not actually ask for Nash to be admitted as an expert. He effectively testified as one and gave cause of death and analyzed blood stains and did blood stain analysis. But he would tell you that, that he never actually called himself an expert and the word expert was not used. Now, they may not have used the word expert, but the message was quite clear to the jury, especially in the absence of any objection by the defense attorney. When is that generally done if you're going to dispute including a witness. I mean, prior to the beginning of the trial, is it possible to file a motion to exclude an expert witness from testifying? It's almost always done pre-trial in what's called a motion in limine. That is an evidentiary hearing before the trial started to, to take up the matter of, of this person's credentials or lack thereof then there's also an opportunity to do it on the stand under cross-examination, and that opportunity wasn't taken. That's correct. Brad Jennings' original defense attorney is now deceased. It's tempting to lay the blame at his feet for not forcefully objecting to the state witness's relative lack of formal education. 
or fault him for not bringing up his own expert to challenge Sergeant Nash. But according to Stacey Uliana, it's really that simple. Do lawyers always take the opportunity to, under cross-examination, scrutinize somebody's credentials or education in a forensic field? You should, but just like in any profession, there's good lawyers, there's bad lawyers, there's overworked lawyers. And they may not have the time to do the investigation or the skill to do a good cross-examination. And it's really unfortunate because a lot of times people don't have money. A lot of counties, a lot of states won't pay for that many experts. You might not have the money to get an expert to do a wonderful, accurate representation of the crime scene. Just because one side says somebody's opinion isn't that great doesn't mean it doesn't come in as evidence. The system is simply set up like this. In practice, no one is really screening the credentials of bloodstain pattern analysts, except for the lawyers. And if they don't successfully exclude an expert before the trial, the jury is going to hear that person's testimony on the stand. If a lawyer doesn't challenge a supposed bloodstain pattern analyst's testimony at all, due to lack of money, time, or inexperience, well, that person's opinion just stands before the jury as truth. It's really no wonder then that an innocent man like Brad Jennings could so easily find himself living a nightmare. Brad was in a perfect storm. When I first met Brad, you talk about a guy walking around with a dark cloud following him everywhere. It was Brad. I mean, he was convinced that everything that could go wrong was gonna go wrong. And every time I visited with him, the, the first question is, do you think we're gonna win? And I just said, Brad, I, I can't promise. I learned a long time ago, you don't promise results. By the fall of 2016, Brad Jennings has spent over seven years in prison for the murder of his wife, Lisa, and has already lost two attempts at appeal. It's then that the father and daughter duo, Robert and Liz Ramsey, take on his case. When you first opened the file and opened the stack of papers, what were you drawn to in terms of what you had to work with for the case? I knew from the very beginning that the key witness that the state had against Brad was uh, Sergeant Dan Nash from the Missouri State Highway Patrol. And when I saw his testimony about cause of death, blood stains, it was very disturbing to me. It was very clear, and like my dad said, there was a perfect storm. There was Dan Nash. There was a prosecutor who, in my opinion, was not doing his job. And there was a defense attorney who, in my opinion, did absolutely nothing to help his client. Did either of you need to find your own expert witnesses to refute Dan Nash's testimony? So we did have an expert witness. His name is Joseph Slemko. He is an expert bloodstain analyst from Canada. And he was actually retained initially by a private investigator, and then we found his opinions in the file that had just been sitting there since 2012 or 2013. I called him on the phone and one of the first things he said to me was, I am so glad to hear from you because I wrote this opinion years ago 
and I believe this man is sitting in prison wrongfully. I believe this is a suicide and no one has done anything with my opinion. And uh, I know it's a case that mattered to him because he saw the injustice that happened. In 2017, Liz and Robert Ramsey, through a complex series of legal maneuvers, are finally able to secure a habeas corpus hearing for Brad Jennings, and he's brought before a judge. The judge must determine whether Brad Jennings was wrongfully incarcerated or whether he should be tried again. This time, Brad has his own bloodstain pattern analyst on hand to go head-to-head with Sergeant Dan Nash. During the habeas corpus proceedings in 2017, uh, when we were trying to free Brad Jennings, Dan Nash testified about bloodstains and our expert Joseph Slemko testified about bloodstains. And the judge found our expert to be more credible. He said on the record that he did not find Sergeant Nash to be credible. And that was put in his order, uh, granting relief to Brad Jennings. In February of 2018, after more than eight and a half years spent behind bars for a crime he did not commit, Brad Jennings would finally walk out of prison. How did that feel? It felt really great because I knew that we had a very strong case and I knew that we were gonna have a field day with their witnesses if the case ever did come to trial. But it was a good feeling. Certainly for Brad Jennings, I mean, it was like somebody lifted a, you know, an anvil off his shoulders and he's free again. I got to go and walk him out of prison and that was one of the most incredible moments of my life was getting to walk him towards his family watch him hug his kids and his mom Brad you feeling pretty good how do you feel what's gonna happen a lot better I was beginning to wonder it's been a while but I'm sure glad to get out of there I just want to thank everybody that worked on this all my family that stuck with me A few months later, the state of Missouri would decline to retry Brad Jennings for the murder of his wife, and he remains a free man to this day. Sergeant Nash would later be found innocent of any wrongdoing in civil court. Our call to him for comment went unreturned. This case opened our eyes even further to the way bloodstain pattern analysts make it to the stand. It's an unregulated and capricious process. However, that's not even the most unsettling part of the story. Because we found out that the federal rule of Evidence 702, you know, the whole thing where an expert has to have greater than average knowledge, it has far more terrifying implications than we realized. So Rule 702 doesn't just apply to blood experts. It's applicable to any expert in any field. The person has to have knowledge that's greater than that of the average person. And it really just applies to anybody that is going to testify in the form of an opinion. You heard that correctly. The screening process of the United States court system uses to deem someone a quote-unquote expert in pretty much any field is, shall we say, limited at best. Which leaves the door open to some really scary possibilities. How common is this idea that unqualified experts are testifying for prosecutions and in securing convictions. 
it happens a lot more than people think. In my experience, it goes on all the time. You won't believe the type of experts that are allowed in American courts. This next story convinced us that the problem is so much deeper and darker than we ever imagined. Next on Unraveled, Experts on Trial. All I know is I saw her body there and, and I ran over to her. I wasn't there, I didn't do this. It was Bill and his attorney who first introduced bite mark evidence because Bill knew he didn't kill his wife. You could see the jury, you could see on their faces when this guy was testifying, he had him in the palm of his hand. You learn that the trial is dog and pony show. Police will identify what they consider to be injuries. Bite marks can testify all the time. It can happen. You're not concerned with it until it touches your life, but you should be. How long did he spend in prison total? Close to 23 years. This has all but destroyed me. Unraveled is produced by Joke Productions for ID. The executive producers of this podcast are Joke Finciun, Biagio Messina, and Jeff Kuntz, along with myself, Billy Jensen, and Alexis Linkletter. Executive producer for ID is Tim Bainey. Additional producing and writing by Mike Gattinella. Our editor is Corey Nye. The music and score that you have heard in this podcast is by Biagio Messina, Dave Pellman, and the Alibi and Nimbo Libraries. Archival clip courtesy of Steve Pokin and USA Today Network. Make sure to check for episode four next week on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It helps a lot when you subscribe, rate, and review the podcast that you enjoy listening to. Thank you for listening and for your support.